If you're just joining us for today, we're, we're uh, travelling through a series that we started a long time ago, reading through this incredible letter of, in the New Testament of the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, to the Romans. It's been a uh, fascinating and really life-changing kind of journey for, for us as we read through this um, astounding letter. Um, and we're up to this, this part of it at the moment, and mainly in chapter 10. Uh, we'll get to the passage itself pretty soon, but uh, some of you might know the name William Carey. Anyone heard of William Carey? Uh, some of us might have heard of uh, William Carey. He's uh, a really quite uh, a famous Christian missionary. He, he, when he was a young man, he was a young man over in England, uh, he became a Christian, he kind of was around the late 1700s, um, so he became a Christian, and he was, he seems to me to be, a, he was a pretty full-on kind of guy, okay, he was a pretty full-on kind of guy, he um, as soon as he'd become a Christian, uh, soon afterwards he taught himself. He didn't know anyone. He taught himself um, ancient Greek and Hebrew, so he could read the Bible in the original languages. Uh, and you know, soon enough, he became a preacher with the Baptist Church over in, over in England. Uh, he was so struck by this good news of Jesus that Paul's been kind of rabbiting on about all through his letter. He was so struck by it; it sunk so deeply into him. And, he, he had this deep desire to share it with everyone around him, and not just with the people around him, but share it with the whole world. Um, he knew that there were, at his time, there were large parts of the world who'd never heard of Jesus, and he knew that Jesus' claims kind of took in every person. Um, and, and there were so many who, who had never heard of this great and wonderful, life-giving, forgiving, transforming news about Jesus. Anyway, anyway, he was struck by it. He started to talk about creating a missionary society. We're talking about CMS today. Later on, we're going to be praying for them. This was kind of way back before all of these missionary societies started up, and really it was Kerry who started kind of the ball rolling with a lot of this. He, he talked about starting a missionary society. Uh, when he was talking about the need for overseas missions at, at a group of Baptist leaders, he was interrupted by an older minister. Uh, this older minister interrupted him while he was saying this idea he had for getting the gospel out to the world and starting his missionary society. He was interrupted by young, uh, an older minister who said to him, Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. Well, the young man didn't sit down. The young man didn't sit down. <laughs> uh, he did. He pursued... He, he, Kerry described himself in this wonderful way. He, he said this was the best thing he could say about himself. He was a plotter. Okay, so he had this conviction, so he plotted on. He didn't sit down. He kept plotting. Uh, he began his Baptist Missionary Society, and it was really, uh, like I said, through him that this, uh, a whole um, generation of missionary movements started up, taking this news about Jesus to the world. That's spurred on people ever since. Friends, if you were here with us last week, we looked at um, the Romans chapter 9, the, the passage that just sits before the one we just had read. Uh, last week we looked at Romans chapter 9. And if you're here last week, I hope, I certainly was, I hope you were struck by the really strong presentation in that chapter of God as the sovereign, merciful Lord over all things, the one who works all things according to his will, who chooses to save people, the one who is totally sovereign. Uh, 
one way that people have responded in the past to that reality in Romans 9 is to kind of accept that, accept that, that, that um, what's sort of clear throughout Romans, that salvation, our salvation, doesn't depend on our own effort, doesn't depend on our own uh, human desire or effort, but only on God's mercy. That's what Paul says. Uh, one way to kind of respond to that is to kind of then make the leap that nothing that we do really matters. Nothing that we do really matters. We can kind of just sit back and shrug our shoulders. Um, and lots of, and there have been people who have kind of had that attitude. Uh, but this could never be the case for William Perry or for countless others after him. They believed in the sovereignty of God. They believed that God was sovereign over all things. In fact, that was the only thing that got them through all the horrendous trials that they faced when they went to places like India and China uh, to bring this great news of Jesus to people. The only thing that sustained them was this conviction and this strong belief that God was sovereign. They believed in the sovereignty of God. But they took just as seriously Jesus' call to go to the nations with this great news about Jesus. To see people brought into God's family. To see people become Christians. Come into relationship with God through Jesus. Carrie knew that that kind of you know, that blinkered view of God's sovereignty, that extreme view of that, that, that can often be a smokescreen for something sort of darker that's going on in our own hearts. Um, he wrote about the Christians in England at the time, um, kind of working through all this. He said, Multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who to this day are lost. And he saw this kind of relaxed attitude about doing anything actually as a bit of a smokescreen, using God's sovereignty as an excuse for just not caring, not loving the world as we ought to. And in that sense, I think William Carey is right in line with the Apostle Paul in this chapter in Romans 10. Uh, no one had a stronger view of God's sovereignty than Paul. Um, a strong view of God's sovereignty for him, it, but it never led him to a kind of laziness or apathy from his hands. Just looking back, it leads Paul actually to the opposite. Paul knows that in God's sovereign kindness, God calls people, not only to his family, but to take part in his plans, his purposes in the world. He calls people to take part in what he's doing within the gospel. There is a mystery here, and we talked about this last week, one that we'll never kind of fully comprehend. And, but what else really would you expect if you're dealing with the sovereign Lord of the universe? <laughs> you, I hope that you wouldn't expect to have every, all of his ways sort of neatly packaged in your brain. None of us can. There is a mystery here. Uh, in, God's, in Romans 9, God's sovereign mercy is on view. But did you see, did you notice this in this reading? Uh, if you read last, if you were here last week or read through Romans 9, there seems to be this huge shift as we got to what we read just now in Romans, the verse 30 of chapter 9. It's like the kind of the camera is shifting to see the same reality from a different perspective. Um, Paul turns from, in Romans 9, kind of talking about the initiative of God in saving people. Now he shifts the camera to another perspective to talk about our response to, to God and his sovereignty, our response, our real response to, to the gospel. He wants to hold both of these together. He's, he knows they're both true. He won't get let go of them. It's a bit like, I don't know if you ever kind of built go-karts as a kid or you 
Um, you have one rope on one side, one on the other, and you kind of, you know, you have to hold them both in tension to go the right way. If you, if you let go of one and pull the other, you, you end off off the road, right? If you let go of the other, <laughs> you end off off track, right? You, you, you're not going in the right direction if you do that. Uh, you have to hold on to both ropes, uh, otherwise you're going to go off course. Hold on only to God's sovereignty. Um, you will become like that uh, Baptist minister who didn't care about world mission. Hold on only to human responsibility and forget about God's kind sovereignty. You'll be weighed down by uh, the uh, your, your inability to do it. <laughs> it's too big, big for you. You can't do it. You, you've got to hold both of these things up together. Okay. So that's where Paul shifts to now, this kind of other side, this other rope of the go-kart where he's going the other side of the coin. He shifts to this. When it comes to human response to the gospel, it's all tied up to what's at the core of the gospel, this core reality of what, when we say the gospel, this great announcement to the world about Jesus. Uh, it's, and if you're familiar with Romans, uh, if you haven't been with us up to this point, um, uh, one of Paul's key ideas is this idea of righteousness. This idea of righteousness, of being yourself as an individual person in a right relationship to God. This idea of uh, righteousness. Paul paints two kinds of righteousness, kind of two paths towards righteousness uh, as, as he goes on to kind of explore this issue of our responsibility, our, our involvement, our response to gospel. The other thing that is worth kind of bringing in at this point, if you haven't been with us, if you have, you'll know that um, the question of Israel is a big one for Paul. The, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites, uh, this is a big issue for Paul. Jesus has come. He's the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament promised. The whole story kind of pointed towards him. But the people of the Old Testament, the, the Israelites, on the whole, hadn't believed in him. They haven't received him as Lord. They've rejected their own Messiah. In chapter 9, Paul's great concern is to show that, that Israel's rejection of Jesus in no way sort of should make us uh, lose trust in God. Uh, God is totally sovereign. He's working his purposes out. His word has not failed. He's sovereign over it all. But at the same time, Paul knows that Israel, the nation of Israel, is responsible. They can't throw their hands up and say, why does God blame us? Remember that from last week? No, they themselves have responsibly, really, turned away from God. And here's the scary thing. They've turned away from God by being religious, really religious, by trying to work their way up to Him. Uh, it's possible to be serious about God, really serious about God, and this can completely. It's a bit like, I don't know, uh, it's, it's a bit like um, if you're a parent or a grandparent or you kind of know around parents you, uh, at Christmas time, right? Christmas time is frenzy of gift giving, and it's a bit like uh, uh, a parent giving a present at Christmas. Uh, this present to your child, right, is an outworking of your love for them. It's just kind of a free gift to your kids. Uh, but just imagine your kid says, hang on a second, Dad. Oh, no, um, uh, let me work this out. I need to pay for this. This is approximately, you know, you're a bit cheap, so it's approximately $15. Uh, 
Uh, I get this much every okay, so uh, just let me work out a repayment plan over six months, taking interest into account, uh, and I'll, I'll make sure I pay you back, okay? I mean, it's kind of funny, and you know, on one level, you, you kind of wish that would be true. Okay, nudge, no. But you know, if, if you could do that, it would be totally tragic, wouldn't it? I mean, really, if they, if they would never receive a gift from you, they felt like they had to kind of work to earn in favour with you, um, but, but they thought they needed to earn their way. It, it, earning your way with God is actually a pious way to keep them in existence. Um, not accepting the free gift that he wants to give you, trying to kind of pay for it. It looks noble, but really it's just a way of distancing yourself. Uh, and this basic kind of distinction, this basic separation between trying to earn our righteousness, our right relationship with God and uh, our right standing with God, a basic distinction between that and receiving it as a gift. That's what lies behind all of this that Paul is going to say in this chapter. When it comes to Israel's response to God and his words, it's their basic problem. It's their basic problem because it's a basic problem in every human heart. Actually. It can be ours too. It's just as coming for us. And we'll kind of um, read our way through this passage. We'll uh, uh, bring some thoughts out on the way through before I just draw a few things together at the end. But if, it should be coming up on the screen if uh, we can get that coming up as we go through or, and there's an outline in your hand out there. Um, these two kinds of righteousness. As he goes through, he uses different ways to talk about it. If you can see there in the end of chapter 3, he talks about pursuing the law versus obtaining Pursuing righteousness through the law versus obtaining it by faith. What shall we say then, verse 30, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they didn't, they didn't pursue it, they didn't work their way up to God, they didn't pursue it, but, but they have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. Simply through receiving, holding their empty hands out to receive the forgiveness and life that God really offers you through Jesus. That's what they've done. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Paul's hammered already, and he's kind of been hammering home all the time, that the Old Testament law uh, in and of itself is good. It was a wonderful gift to God's people. It was a good thing. Uh, it's true and right. We saw that in Romans 7, if you were here then. The problem here isn't with the law itself, God's gracious kind of giving of his law to his people. The problem here isn't with the law, it's with the people of Israel pursuing the law as a way to get right with God, as a way of righteousness. They've tried to do things in order to get righteousness uh, rather than trusting and obeying God who had already this stumbling stone idea, they stumble over a stumbling stone. Uh, Paul quotes from Isaiah, a couple, he kind of matches together a couple of different quotes in Isaiah. Uh, this idea of a stone, if you can imagine a building site, right, you've got rubble everywhere and stones everywhere. Uh, imagine you're kind of there and you're walking around and there's this massive stone that doesn't look like anything else, look a bit out of place. Uh, you, you're walking along and you accidentally kind of trip over it and stumble over it. And you think, well, uh, uh, that's kind of, it looks different from all the rest, we, we better check it out. 
trapping the skip. It's only once the skip's gone and the stone is you know, gone to the dump that you realise uh, that that stone is actually the, what they call the cornerstone, the, the, the most important piece of the whole building. And if you don't have it, it nothing sort of works. It doesn't, it doesn't fit together. It'll fall down. That stone is Jesus for Paul and through the Old Testament. That's it. He's all through the Old Testament. Being right with God in the Old Testament was always about trusting. But Abraham, we learned about him, being made right by faith, by trusting. Not by doing, trusting in God's promises. God's promises that always pointed towards Jesus. But if you don't accept him, that cornerstone, you don't trust him, you rely on your own efforts, he won't be a cornerstone that you can rest on and rely on. It'll be a stumbling stone that you stub your foot on and you won't tuck away. The one who does so will never be put to shame. You can try and pursue righteousness through the law, or you can maintain it by faith, by trusting in this stone, this cornerstone. Another way of saying that, at the start of chapter 10, you can establish your own. You can try at least to establish your own righteousness, or you can submit to God's chapter 10. Never you lose your first heart. Brothers and sisters, my desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. The Jews were zealous. They were disciplined, serious about God. But they misjudged. They misjudged. And the tragedy was that in trying to establish their own righteousness by following the law, they missed what the law was always about. Verse 4, we saw that. Christ is the culmination, the goal, the thing that the law was always heading towards and leading us to and pointing to. He is the one. Here's the one. If you think about the Old Testament, kind of like a shadow, you get an outline, and that's true. But Jesus is the reality, the one who casts the shadow. He's the one that's all pointing towards. He's the one that's leading towards. He's the real thing. And the outcome of that is that you've got righteousness, this, this free gift of righteousness for everyone who believes. Not only for the Jews who hope in God, but now for everyone, for anyone. Um, okay, you can pursue the law, you can try and establish your own. Uh, the third kind of wrong way to try and get this righteousness uh, is trying to achieve something that's far off. You can think about this as achieving something that's far off versus receiving something that's unnear. That's what Paul gets on to in verse 5 there. He goes right back to the foundation of Israel's history, right back with Moses. God's given in the law. Uh, you find this in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30. Moses has given them, God's given Moses the word of God, this law. Moses has passed it on to the people. Uh, and he emphasizes that it's a gift to them. It's a gift to them by God's grace. It's not something that they need to kind of anxiously go out and search for. They don't need to kind of anxiously go out and search for it. God has brought it to them. Paul quotes this. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven as if to bring Christ down, like by our own strength, I've got to go and get him. 
uh, or who will go into the deep, uh, as if to kind of bring Christ back from the dead. The word is near you. It's come near. God has given it. it for Moses, it was this law that God had given him that was, that Paul says, the fulfillment of that is for you, this ultimate word of God to the world. It's not something that you need to kind of anxiously search for. It's just, he's there, he's given through this word. It's a gift. The great news of righteousness isn't something far to go and seek. I had one teacher, one uh, teacher tell this story. He, he was talking to um, a Buddhist friend he had, and they kind of enjoyed uh, telling about this kind of, these kind of things. Uh, they got onto the question of how do you get right with God? Um, or, or the, I mean, Buddhist, uh, I think it's an atheist place, so, so it wasn't kind of with God, but how do you just get right? What do you need to do? Right? What, 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 how do you kind of, what, what sort of things do you do to make yourself okay and right? Um, uh, he listened for a while and the, the Buddhist guy told him about the Eightfold Path and kind of all the things you need to do in order to kind of get right. And then the, the conversation clicked, the Buddhist friend clicked to this guy. And this guy uh, asked him the same question. And he, he explained the gospel to him. Um, and at the end of it, the, the, his, his friend, the Buddhist man, said, so what I'm, he kind of had this moment of clarity, so what I'm striving for, you've already got. What I'm striving for, you've already got. And it's the same with any other, actually, um, system of, not just religion, but any other kind of worldview that has its, as its emphasis, what, what do I need to do to, to make things right, to do the right thing, to get right? The wonderful, astounding news of the gospel is that what people are striving for, God is to anyone who calls in the name of the Lord. Well, Paul gives his great summary of this, this message that is really the message of the whole Bible, that brings righteousness as a gift. And you saw it in verse 9. It's worth reading that out again from verse 9. This is this message, right? This word, the, the word that has come near to you. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, they're not kind of two separate activities. That's just a way of talking about a, a, a kind of whole of life response to Jesus. You believe in your heart, you pull out of your mouth. Jesus is Lord is the same thing as saying God raised him from the dead. If you believe that, if you declare it with your mouth, you will be saved. For anyone, now, it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, in other words, for being made right. If with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And if all of that's true, right? If all of that's true, then the obvious next question is, how is that word going to be heard? Right? If, if, it, if this word is true, the obvious next question is, well, how, if it's wonderful, if it's good, if it's life-giving, if it takes up every person, if it's the, the word that every person in this world needs to and to come under, and the next obvious question is, how is that word going to be heard? Verse 14, 
how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet. Even dirty, smelly feet we've gone along How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The right response, friends, to God's sovereign mercy that was so strongly put last week in chapter 9. And Paul, this is, this is Paul's right response to it. You saw it earlier in the chapter, at the start of the chapter. He prays urgently. That's his response. And here, he preaches passionately. He passes on this message of the gospel. And I think that's because it's precisely because God is sovereign, because he's the one who saves people. It's precisely because of that that Paul has confidence to pray to him. He has confidence to pray to him and, and he has confidence to preach this word. Paul knows that it's all from God and anyone who calls on God only does so because God himself has been working in their heart to draw them to themselves. But he also knows that God uses his people in this great work of salvation. This is the way God saves. Through the preaching of his word, this great news of the gospel. He knows that not everyone's going to receive it though, and that's the kind of rest of this chapter. With, uh, verse 16 onwards, not all the Israelites receive this good news. But this is how faith comes. You notice that? We keep reading, keep reading verse 16. Not all the Israelites will receive it. But faith, Sending saving faith that brings you into a right relationship with God comes through healing and receiving this news. This is how God chooses to it for the preaching of his word. Uh, and then consequently in verse 17, faith comes through healing. There's a warning here though right at the end of the passage and it's just worth kind of briefly hearing that warning. It is possible to hear physically but not spiritually. Possible to hear physically, like to actually hear the word, Jesus is Lord, but not receive it in your heart. Spiritually, that's what Israel had done. Verse 18, but I ask, did they, that is Israel, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, the words to the end of the earth, the end of the world. And then I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation, and make you angry by nations who have no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But continue to have this all day long. I have held out my hands to disobedient and obstinate people. So Israel cannot give the excuse. Lord, we didn't hear this. They have heard head with their ears, but with their heart, and they're responsible for that. And God promises to all of us, anyone who comes to him, according to him, will be saved. And what do we make of all of this? Um, it's, a, it's a really great passage, isn't it? I mean, there's so much in there. There's great insight into the heart of the gospel, that this global kind of word that travels over the world. Uh, I just wanted to maybe reflect on a couple of things. Did you notice as we read through that the great problem for the people of Israel was what Paul calls zeal without knowledge. Zeal without knowledge. That's a problem also, I think, for many, for all of us, actually, zeal without knowledge. 
Uh, first, though, hearing Paul's antidote for this, his antidote, where kind of their zeal was obtained because they misunderstood God's work in the world, they misunderstood the scriptures, they didn't see that it was all pointing to Jesus, they thought, thought they could use the law to make themselves right. Uh, the answer that Paul comes up with is to see the world, to see what God's doing, to see the Bible with a Jesus lens. Read the Bible with a Jesus lens. You see that through how Paul just uses the Old Testament over and over again through this, this chunk. Now this gospel, this good news about Jesus, it's all through the Bible. There's no kind of split between Old Testament and New Testament, Old Testament for bad news, New Testament for good news. No. The whole thing is the story of God saving righteousness. That's fulfilled in Jesus. This is what the law always comes to us. The Bible isn't primarily a handbook of how to become righteous. It is a wonderful and true story of what God has done in Jesus to make us. It is. Actually, the Bible is the great sermon. The Bible is the great, the great sermon in the world. The great declaration. Uh, the great announcement about what God has done to bring righteousness to the world. See the world through Jesus' lens. The second, um, the second thought is to highlight, I think, that comes out of this something that is dangerous for a preacher to say, I'm conscious of this, but to highlight the importance of preaching. Um, as, as I say, a dangerous thing for a preacher to say. And I hope you can just relax, we'll just be here for another two hours, right? And then we're, we're kind of drawing to a close. Uh, friends, I, I mean, I know I have every, every preacher, including myself, has a lot to learn and keep trying to do it better. But one thing God's people must never give up on is preaching. Uh, it's popular in some places to see preaching, the preaching of God's word as kind of optional, or maybe it's kind of one option for wordy sorts of people. And a group discussion is just as good, in fact, it's better. I just want to push back on that a little bit and suggest that that would be unthinkable for Paul. Uh, not because preachers are something special or different, but because of the very nature of the gospel, of this good news. This this news, this declaration. This, friends, I hope you're in a home group. I, uh, um, our home groups are really central to what we're doing here and the core parts of our life together. It's a great way to hear and apply God's word in a kind of more personal, kind of intimate way, right? Um, uh, but there is a danger, I think. It, it may be that for some of us, we like our small group discussion because it's there that we get to share our ideas about God rather than listening to God's ideas about us. It's a very subtle distinction. Um, our home group's friends will work well, not when we're all kind of uh, talking about our own thoughts that we're thinking of. Our home groups will work well when everyone has their Bibles out in front of them. Uh, and we're together talking about and applying God's ideas, God's work around his good news to us. See, at its heart, the gospel is God's word to us, not our word to God. It is the news of God coming near to us, not our thinking our way up to God. And you see what comes out of this passage. Faith, deep, 
real hope that will sustain you and that will give you life. It doesn't come through talking, it comes through hearing. It comes through hearing, it has to. This message about Jesus is not one that we could ever make up ourselves. We could never come up with this ourselves. It is a word that comes to us from outside ourselves, from God himself. And it's a word that fundamentally needs to be proclaimed, preached, told. It's, a, it's good news that rings out. Uh, lots of you will know what tomorrow is, I'm sure. It's a famous and justly famous day. No, I'm not talking about that ancient Christian tradition of All Souls Day, All, no, All Hallows Eve. Otherwise, co-opted by America to be Halloween. I'm not talking about that. Um, of course, it is uh, another very great famous day of tomorrow. Maybe you don't know it. Tomorrow is Reformation Day. Okay, the 31st of October, Reformation Day. Uh, it's the day uh, 499 years ago <laughs> that Martin Luther. If you heard this story, it's one of his turning points in history, one of the big great turning points in history, the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. You can chat like if you want to hear more about that. Uh, and next year is instantly the 500th anniversary. It's a great moment. Uh, it, it signaled this shift in church life back towards Paul's gospel. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, Luther later wrote, he, Luther, well, the reason I bring that up is Luther kind of um, reflecting on this, what the Apostle Paul writes to us. Luther, Luther wrote, if you are a Christian, uh, if you ask a Christian, right, talking to Christians, Luther writes, if you ask a Christian what the work is by which he, is, he becomes worthy of the name Christian, he will be able to give absolutely no other answer then that it is the hearing of the word of God, that is, faith. Therefore, Luther had a great gift for using the imagery, I think I've said this before, great quote, therefore, the ears alone are the organ of a Christian. <laughs> for he is justified and declared to be a Christian, not by the works of any member, but because of faith. Isn't that great? The ears alone of the organ of a Christian, because he's justified not by the works of any member, but by hearing the word and receiving it in your heart and believing it. That is, that is God's righteousness. It means that the preaching of God's word with the Jesus lens must be central to the life of God's people. And please pray for this church. Brothers and sisters, I know you, that you do. Is continue to, it will be a family of God's people who love to listen to God's word, to hear it, to receive it, and submit to it, to be transformed by it. It's important now to say that the importance of preaching, just to reinforce that, it has nothing to do with the poor, weak, sinful, insecure preacher. No, it has nothing to do with that. The importance of preaching has everything to do with the message that he's just passing on. Uh, the wonderful life-giving word about Jesus that the Bible brings to us fully and with full certainty and assurance. Okay, almost done. I just wanted to bring one more thing up, friends. Uh, 
flowing out of all of that, flowing out of all of that, I think what this means for us is that passing on the gospel, passing on this great announcement that what God has done, that we read of in the scripture, passing that on, what sometimes it's called evangelism. Well, if you find this, um, sometimes as a Christian, if, if, you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you feel like this, uh, this kind of passing on seems to be maybe one sort of room in my life that I might sneak into every now and again. Um, but passing on the news of Jesus is just an overflow of being a Christian, right? As a church, we've tried to kind of focus everything we're doing around people growing in our love for God and the purity for Him, growing in our love for each other. And the third one, though, is growing in love for the world, for our community, for the whole world. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian this morning, this is what being a Christian is, and you can take this and receive at any time. Right now, if you are a Christian, you've received such a free, incredible, unthinkable gift from God's sovereignty. You haven't earned it. All you've done is just hold out your empty hands to receive it. You've heard it. And receiving it, being filled up with this gospel, means it will bubble out over you, flow out of you. We do it confident in God's sovereignty, always. We know we can't change hearts, and that should give us a real peace. But we can share this message. We can pray like Paul did. We do it together as a church family, each of us praying our different ways. But together our heart is to pass on this word. One way uh, we're trying to do that here is um, through uh, coming up with a, a four-week series of Life with Jesus. It's just a really kind of low-key way for anyone who's interested. In fact, anyone... Uh, anyone today who would like to talk to you, uh, it's a four-week series, just going through what it looks like to live life with Jesus, what Jesus' basic claims are, uh, what it looks like to, to kind of live that. Um, a, a, a series specifically for those who are interested. Um, we ran through that series with the Wednesday Night Home group um, over the last little while. Uh, and what we're, what we're hoping to do is early next year to put on a public, put it on to the more public group for us as a church family to think about who we might just invite to bring along to that, just a really low-key, relaxed kind of way to think about and talk about Jesus and his claims. Um, we're also going to be running that in the other two hundreds, the other three hundreds, two Monday night ones and the Tuesday morning one, at three November this year. So if you're in a home group, through November this year, we're going to be working together through this life series. If you're not in a home group, it'd be great time to join in. Just jump in, even just for a few weeks. Um, you can catch me afterwards if you can do that. Friends, um, of course, though, it's not just our community um, this message needs to go to. It's not just the people sitting in this room. It's not just our local community. It's the whole world, right? Christians who have been gripped by this great news have always had a concern that the gospel gave the nations. Christians, uh, like um, all, well, the, the whole missionary movement that we started with. Um, I'd encourage you to adopt CMS as your kind of, uh, if you have, if you uh, aren't actively engaged in a missionary society, as a church, we 
appreciate kind of um, partnering with CMS and please come along to the training and other ones. It'll be great way to thank you. Friends, we've covered a lot of territory today, haven't we, from Romans 10? Um, this great, wonderful news that if we if we receive in our hearts, we have that assurance from God Himself that we will be saved. And that those who are saved by, no matter what your feet look like, can have beautiful feet too, as those who bring this message of the gospel to the world around us in whatever way you can. Let's pray to God that He might help us to do The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, give us uh, the same longing as the Apostle Paul, grounded in the certainty of your great sovereign work, grounded in the peace that comes through knowing Jesus, grounded in the, the, the knowledge that it's not up to us, we don't earn our way to you, we can't change our hearts, grounded in all of that, give us Paul's, yet the same part as Paul had, to see this gospel. It is great news of Jesus. God, how you? Thank you for those before us, for coming. Father, please keep us and inspire us by your spirit. And take whatever part we can do in the universe. Father, we pray for any of you who perhaps don't know you as the Lord and Savior, who haven't confessed Jesus as Lord. Father, please let us know by your spirit.